We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world, and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. This week's episode is a fun one. We are going to talk about movement and movement really matters. So what I'm going to share with you is lesson number five from my upcoming book, 32 Lessons That Create Lifelong Change for Children with Autism. Lesson number five is going to be about not all movement activities are created equally. So I'm going to share with you the first half of my career and the type of movement activities I did, and I'm going to share with you what changed in the second half of my career and the type of movement activities that I did. There is a great difference between the two types of movement activities, and I'm going to recommend one over the other. So let's first give you a little bit of background about movement activities. So you know that for the past 20 years, I have been in the ring and I've been providing autism intervention in the public school setting to preschoolers. That said, what I did is I took note of who was learning to talk and who was developing speech and who wasn't developing speech. And I'm always going to say this, know that from day one, I'm always starting on alternative and augmentative communication for children who don't have consistent speech. I'm all for AAC. That said, I also look to develop speech and I look at what can I do to develop speech. So I've been trained in pretty much every approach out there and I've implemented every evidence-based approach out there to improve the likelihood that these children are going to develop speech. So I made a list of over this 10-year period, who have I worked with has not developed speech? Let's make a list. So I made this comprehensive list of children who did not develop speech. And after I went down that list, there was one thing that every child had in common. Can you guess what that is? What it is, they all had very poor motor skill development. So I'm talking about weak core, weak gross motor skills, weak motor coordination. So when I look at the list of children in the first 10 years that I worked with, 
What they had in common, if I visualize them, is they had hunched forward shoulders. They had a weak core. Maybe their mouth was open at rest. There may have even been drool coming out from the mouth being open. They were ones that when they walked from point A to point B, they were using gravity by leaning forward to get momentum going that forward walk. Their ankles were flexed stiffly instead of using the ankles and the toes in a walking motion fluidly. So they were like stomping, right? And these were children who people were holding their hands for them to move from point A to point B. These were children who people were assisting them to pick up the card from their schedule or put the schedule card back or to use a picture exchange communication book or a voice activated device. They were getting a lot of physical assistance. These were children who, if left to their own devices, they were lying on the ground instead of sitting up. So these are the children that were not developing speech. And the reason for that is that the core develops first and after the core, the gross motor skills, and lastly, the fine motor skills. Now, as speech therapists, oftentimes we just like to get to the fine motor skills and ignore the core, but that's not the way development works. It develops in a proximal to a distal manner. So even though speech pathologists want to work on those fingertips, the finger pointing, that's distal. Even though the speech pathologists want to work on the vocalizations in the speech, that's distal. Even though they want to go right to the eye contact and shifting eye contact and using it to shared for shared reasons in play, that's distal. That happens lastly. And these children don't have wings. They can't fly. So what we're going to want to do is we're going to want to improve their motor skills. And the good news is you don't need to be a physical therapist. You don't need to be an occupational therapist. What I'm going to share with you today is that you can come in the form of bread and you can change these children's lives by not only improving their communication skills, but improving their motor skills as well, which will improve their communication skills. So let's get to the first 10 years of my work as a speech pathologist and what I was doing. I was focusing on sensory activities, activity-based intervention that used sensory activities. Let me give you an example. So the children with autism I worked with, I would have them swinging on a swing. I'd be pulling them in a wagon. I would be having the shaving cream, the beans, the rice, the sand. I would have deep pressure rolling pin that I would use with them when they requested it. So I had a lot of sensory toys, sensory activities. I even wrote a grant with my colleagues for $20,000 to develop a sensory room called the Cozy Corner. So I was all about sensory and I was all about using sensory activities to improve communication skills. That said, I was not finding the games in the motor skills. I was finding that these children were largely dependent still on myself or on the teachers or other adults to manipulate their bodies in space, to manipulate their environments. In other words, they were locked in. They were not improving with my sensory activities in the motor skills. 
So what I did is after I made the revelation that motor skills were really poor on the children who weren't talking that I've worked with, the children with the poor motor skills, they were not developing speech. It was that simple. It was almost like a causal relationship. All of the children with poor motor skills were the ones that weren't developing speech. So what I did is I thought I need to look outside of the research in speech pathology because the research in speech pathology is largely focused on the mouth, but not on motor skills. I went into the research in physical therapy and occupational therapy, and I looked at their meta-analysis. And this is what I found. I found in this meta-analysis from 2013, they reviewed 26 studies on sensory integration activities, which is like what I was doing, sensory activities versus task-oriented movement activities, which anyone can do. We'll talk about those in a moment. And what they found is the sensory activities, they were producing very small change in motor skill, skill improvement and finding gross motor skills. So the sensory activities were only producing a tenth of a standard deviation change. Very small. So if you think about standard deviation, 85 to 100 is below a standard deviation. 100 to 115 is going above 100 standard deviation. So just one-tenth of a standard deviation improvement was what they were finding in motor skill development for children that used sensory activities. Now, for those that were using task-oriented movement activities, they were finding an average almost nine-tenths of a standard deviation, a very, very large effect size, very big difference for children who were doing task-oriented movement activities. So I changed my approach. I learned everything I could out of the field of physical therapy and occupational therapy. I got all of the books. I got all of the research and I booked up. So if you are a speech pathologist and you're working with children with autism, I encourage you to have wandering eyes because autism is a multifaceted impairment. It impacts pretty much every aspect of the child's life. Go into the field of physical therapy. Go into the physical field of occupational therapy. Do a Robin Hood. Grab their good stuff, their highly effective strategies, and integrate them into your approach. Now, remember, when I'm talking about task-oriented movement therapy activity, these can be provided by anyone and everyone under the sun. A parent can do this. A teacher can do this. A teaching assistant can do this. A speech pathologist can do this. So we can come in the form of bread and really help these children, help improve these children's motor skills. And why do we care about that? Because the children with autism are being grossly underserved right now. The research indicates that close to 90% of children with autism have a motor disorder but yet they are no more likely than their typically developing peers to get therapy for it. Now, this is a shame because the research shows that physical therapy is highly beneficial for children with autism. It just makes no sense. They're simply being underserved. 
That I can't change with my time here, but you better believe I'm going to come in the form of bread and I want you to do the same thing and give these children task-oriented movement therapy activities. So the second part of my career, I moved to task-oriented movement therapy activities because I was finding, like the research was finding, I wasn't seeing the gains in motor skills but I was seeing the gains in motor skill development and also in the total child blossoming when I moved to task-oriented movement therapy. So let me explain briefly what was task-oriented movement therapy. With this therapy, the child had a mission. So there was a problem and they had to make a plan to solve that problem. They took action and then they checked it to completion with a checklist. Those were my movement activities that I had the children do. So no more of hiding things in beans and child children finding things in beans and engaging in a repetitive cause and effect action again and again. Instead, these children were engaging in a multiple step executive function activity that involved first identifying a problem, making a plan, taking action, and checking it to completion. This was an activity that increased their attention. It wasn't one step, it was four steps. And when you improve attention for children with autism, you improve every aspect of their life through a cascading impact. You got to do it to see the impact for yourself. Attention matters. And when you have the children engage in a multiple step complex process, you will improve their attention. So these are the types of activities I was doing. They're goal-directed, and I wasn't touching the child. I was stepping back. What I was doing was setting a stage. I was developing an activity that the child could complete at their challenge point. 80% of the time, they could independently do it all by themselves. That's challenge point and task-oriented movement activities. And I was stepping back. And I was letting the child all by themselves lead the learning experience. So we're talking about self-efficacy here. The child was the teacher. The child was finding out what the problem was. The child was making the plan. The child was taking action. The child was seeing it through completion. I was the student. I was learning from the child taking the lead. The third thing that happened that we're looking at with these task-oriented movement activities is the child was a moving. So we can't just have these children sit at a table for 30 minutes. That's against what the typical preschooler needs. Every five minutes, they need to be moving. So the children were engaging in these complex treatment targets. So they were reading paragraphs. So they were doing their augmentative communication. So they're telling stories about how these things were done. So they were identifying the problem, the plan, the action, and how to check it to completion. And then they were doing it. And when they moved, they could have greater attention because they weren't sitting still at a table for 30 minutes. They were moving every five minutes. They were also increasing their dopamine levels when I did the task-oriented movement activities because the secret about task-oriented movement activities is you have a purpose. And when you're working towards something with a purpose, the dopamine levels increase. And when the dopamine levels go up, the child's going to more quickly remember what they're learning and they're going to remember it long-term. 
that is what was happening. I was treating the whole child when I was doing the task-oriented movement activities. They were in charge of the learning. They had self-efficacy. They had ownership. They were improving their attention by completing a multiple-step task and not just a simple cause-effect task. They were improving their executive function through identifying the problem, making a plan, taking action, and checking it to completion. They were improving their motor skills by me not touching them and them independently maneuvering their body and space and taking control of their environment, taking control of how they interact with others, you, and the interaction. Your job is to set the stage at their challenge point and to step back. So this is what was happening. What was happening is you were treating the whole child. You were treating the whole child on multiple levels. Children are brilliant. They know more than anyone with a million letters behind their name, how to move their body in space. Our job is to give them a purpose. That's our job. So that's what I do in the Sparkle in School membership. That's why it's a mission for me. I give them two task-oriented movement activities or whoever is in the group, the speech pathologist, I give you two educationally rich task-oriented movement activities. The stage is set so you can do what you need to do, which is to be present, to focus on that moment-to-moment interaction because that, my friends, is when the magic occurs. When you are with the child and following the child's lead in the activity. And yes, there's this routine as well. With task-oriented movement activities, the child is always going to follow routine. First, they're going to sit down. Then they're going to pull out their sticker and see what their mission is. Then they're going to take action. Then they're going to check it to completion. And that's what they're going to do every single time. It's going to be a new activity, but it's the same routine. And that matters. And that's because many of the children we work with, they're experiencing a trauma in the sense that their sensory systems are off. So they're in fight, flight, freeze mode. And when you give them consistency and routine, when you give them consistency and boundaries, when you give them consistency and expectations, this is very comforting to the child. And when the child feels safe, and secure, the child is able to learn. So what about the sensory? I'm not saying go put the sensory on the shelf. I'm saying integrate that into the task-oriented movement activities. So for instance, you could have the child pick out a a sticker from what they're going to do from a bean bin or a rice bin or a shaving cream bin. You can have the child go on a swing to get from point A to point B and throw the object into the bin. Are they saving the animals? They can go on a swing, swing it over and swing that into the barn. So we don't have to put the sensory on the shelf. But what I'm going to tell you today is sensory in itself is not enough. Integrate the sensory into the task-oriented movement activity. That's a big difference what you're talking about here. Do you want to improve the child's uh, motor skills by uh, by a tenth? Do you want to improve the child's motor skills by a tenth of a standard deviation? 
by one-tenth of a standard deviation or by nine-tenths of a standard deviation. You want to create change. If you want to create lifelong change, go for the task-oriented movement activities. Yes, sensory activities are very powerful. They meet sensory needs for these children. And yes, we can integrate them into the task-oriented movement activity. And we may even have an even greater effect when we do so. But I'm going to tell you, learn from my experience. Learn from the research. Sensory is not enough in itself. Stop it with just doing the sensory bins and cause-effect activities. We can do better than that. So if you are not a member yet of the Sparkle in School membership, I encourage you to join before April 1st. The price is going up and I want you to lock in at that very super low rate that it is in now. If it's not your jam, you can always cancel. But I want you to get in and I want you to get in at a low rate. So join now, kellyvest.com slash sis. So it's kellyvest.com forward slash sis. If you're not learning like I do, I like to just do. You, I encourage you to get this book. I wrote this book to change lives. There's over a hundred clips showing task-oriented movement activities in action. Go ahead, learn how to do it. Do something different, change lives. When I started using task-oriented movement activities in therapy, the children blossomed. And it's not just the children with autism. It's the children who are just speech. These children too are significantly more likely to have executive function difficulties. They too are more likely to have motor difficulties. These children too are more likely to have language and literacy difficulties. And when you're doing task-oriented movement activities, you're improving every aspect that's challenging for these children. So it's time to do something different. I want you to t- challenge yourself. I want you to challenge yourself by buying my book, Speech Motor, Speech Sound Disorders, Comprehensive Evaluation and Treatment. Do something different. I want you to challenge myself by joining me at the drawing board and the Sparkle in School membership. Do something different. Try the movement activities out. Go ahead, see what happens for yourself. You're going to notice what I noticed, and you're going to see that these children are coming out of their shell, and they're developing in many, many many ways, much more than one. You're not treating a mouth, you're treating a child. You're changing lives when neuroplasticity is at its highest level. This is my mission. My mission is not only to do these activities in my practice, but to also empower you to change lives. We've got one life here. Let's make the most of it. Let's change as many lives as we can. So that said, roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. One child at a time, you're always going to be first.